this man is blind because of sin. Now, there's some question on why they think that. It's a misunderstanding, obviously, from Old Testament understanding, but there, there was some rabbinical teaching that taught that the soul being eternal could have possibly sinned before that soul or spirit became incarnate or wrapped itself in flesh. So in other words, what some rabbinical teaching thought was that before you actually became you, there were sins that you committed. So as you entered into this life, you're paying for those sins by having some malady. These disciples believe this man or his mother or his parents sinned. Therefore, he is born blind. They had an improper view of suffering. Now, I would suggest to you that if I think that, if I think you've done something wrong and God has punished you by giving you blindness or mental illness or some other issue, I'm not going to show compassion on you. You're getting what you deserve. I think they would have walked by this man. I think they possibly have walked by him many times. They have an assumption. He's done something. He deserves it. And as I contemplated and meditated on this this week, I said, boy, those disciples are messed up until I went into my own prayer closet and began to meditate on my own thinking about people that I see in the street or homeless or in situations. And I'm saying to myself, what did they do to get themselves in that situation? And I began to think, I'm not much different than these disciples in terms of my theology about suffering. They've done something to deserve it. Is that true? Where do we go? So in this sermon, we're going to talk about suffering. And I am keenly aware that this is probably going to cause more questions maybe than answers. And that's okay. And I pray that after this sermon, that there would be a series of questions posed to one another, posed to yourself, but more importantly, posed to God. And I pray that you allow his word to answer. Well, let's ask ourselves this question first. What is suffering? What is suffering? Suffering is anything that hurts, anything that damages, anything that irritates us. So therefore, there are different levels of suffering. All kinds of physical suffering, all kinds of mental suffering, all kinds of situational suffering. We could go on and on and on about the types of suffering that are out there that are hurting us, things that are bothering us, things that are irritating us, people who are irritating us, situations that are irritating us. For the believer, suffering is something that God gives us that makes us think. It's a tool that he uses to get our attention. It's a tool to get our attention to show us that he is accomplishing something in our lives. He is doing something in the life of a believer. Now, here's the caveat. We don't like what he's doing. We don't know what's best for ourselves. He does. He knows where he wants to take us, and he knows what it takes to get us there. Suffering. So in this sermon, I'm going to say a lot. Some of it you may not like. Some of it may rub up against our sensibilities as humans. 
But as most of you know, I have to say, thus saith the Lord. I am not allowed to draw my own conclusions. I have to deduce as best I can. I have to exegete as best I can what the Bible says. Now, I want to undo some thinking real quick. And I know that this isn't most of us in this room, but I can never be certain. There are a group of people who would say that the very premise of this sermon is wrong from the onset. They would say that suffering is not part of God's plan. Suffering is not something that should even be in the believer's life. Sickness, mental health, you should be healthy and wealthy all the time. There are a group of people that are out there that would preach that, that are preaching that this day. That your best life should be lived now. God, it is not God's will for you to be sick. It is not God's will for you to be broke. And they will say it with vigor. And they will say it with strength. But everything that spews out of their mouth is untrue. That is not true, brothers and sisters. I'm amazed some prosperity preacher, and that's how I refer to them, because they preach that the Christian should be rich, should be prosperous in all things. I was amazed some years ago when I heard one, and he was talking about that Christians should never, Alvin, have any physical issues. And I had watched his ministry over the years, and I noticed at some juncture in his early in his ministry, he was like me. Then later in ministry, I saw him have to put on glasses. I was like, my brother, what has happened to your theology? I thought God wanted us whole. Shouldn't I have 2020 peepers? Well, not in his case. He's wearing glasses. So I'm going to tell you that the health and wealth doctrine, and we may laugh about it, but there are documented cases where the health and wealth doctrine has killed people. And here's what I mean by that. Some of those people are told, don't go to the doctor. Because your faith will make you whole. Your son or your daughter will be healed. You don't need to take them to the doctor. Believe in faith. And here's what they say. And here's the saddening part. The saddest part of all of it, brothers and sisters. If you don't get healed, John, guess whose fault it is? It's yours. You don't have enough faith. It is there, brothers and sisters, and it is growing at amazing speeds that I almost can't believe that Christendom is being held captive by this kind of thinking. It does feel good and make us want to in our physical understanding to say, man, I want God to do that. It's just not biblical. So I am not going to be a word faith preacher this morning. I'm not going to tell you those things that aren't true. Three major points I'm going to look at this, and i got to get going or it'll be a long morning. The word of God on suffering. Number one, there is a suffering that is common to all humanity. We are going to get through the Bible this morning. Hey, wow, that's what I want to hear. Genesis chapter three. Let's go there quickly. And I'm going to say quickly a lot this morning because we're going to move at a rapid pace because we're going to look at so many verses. Genesis chapter three. Most of you know the context of Genesis chapter three. It's the fall of man. Adam and Eve eat from the fruit of the tree that they are commanded not to eat from, and there are consequences to what they do. And I want you to see in verse 14, starting in verse 14, the curses that God brings on creation. We already know that they have died spiritually. He says to the serpent in verse 14, because you have done this curse to you more than a cattle and every beast on the field on your belly, you will go and dust will eat all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. 
He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply. Could we think of this as suffering? Your, child, your, your uh, pain in childbirth, in pain you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband, Adam, because you listened to the wife, voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree, which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you in toil, you will eat of it. Could we say toil is suffering? All the days of your life, both thorns and thistles, it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground. Because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Genesis 3 clearly says that God, because of the sin of man, says that the ground is cursed. Adam, you're going to work. There is going to be suffering in your life, Adam. There was no suffering prior to this. It was a sinless creation. It was truly beautiful and wonderful relationship that God had with Adam. But after the fall of man, suffering comes in the world. It doesn't take us very long to see that suffering come out relationally, do we? And what's amazing, if we were to take the time to look at the interaction between Cain and Abel, how is Cain suffering? Let's think it through. If we're doing a Bible study, we could comment, Cain is suffering what? He's anxious. He's got issues. Why, Gary? God has accepted his brother's offering, but not his own. He doesn't want to suffer. He doesn't want the angst. He doesn't want the issue. So what does he do? I've got to get rid of the problem. I obviously can't get rid of God, but I can get rid of my brother. There's suffering there. There's frustration there. He has to do something with it. So brothers and sisters, we can say that suffering is because of sin, but it's not because of necessarily the sin of that individual. There is suffering that all men, all human beings enjoy or have and deal with, whether you're believer or unbeliever. There is a suffering that is common to all humanity because of what Adam has done. Number two, there is a suffering caused by sinful actions. If we had the time, we'd go here. I'll just give you the references. Can I remind you of Father Abraham? And we think of him and his interaction with Isaac, and we uh, we rejoice in the fact that he was obedient to God. He was ready to plunge the knife into his son's chest until God tells him to stop. And we think of his obedience, but we forget about early on what Abraham and Sarah did. In their suffering, how were they suffering? They didn't have any children. So Sarah says, Hagar, come on over here. We've got to have a child. And Abraham goes into the maidservant, and they have a child, Ishmael. Now, what kind of tension does that cause? So much. And this talks about the hardness of the heart. Sarah does what to Hagar? Now, God allows it. What does he tell her to do? And the child. Get out of here. Hurts Abraham, but he does it. Suffering. That's because of the actions of Abraham and Sarah. How about David and Bathsheba? We know what David did, but do we always understand? Do we remember the consequences of that interaction? What does God do? God says in 2 Samuel 12, I am going to take your child, David. One of the hardest passages in Scripture to read that God says, I'm going to kill the baby. What are we going to do with that? 
God says, because of your sinful actions, David, you have made Israel reproach amongst the other nations. I'm taking your child. The baby's being held responsible for the sinful actions of the parents. God doesn't. Brothers and sisters, these are the things in the Bible that we have to come to grips with. These are things that are there. We can't just ignore it. They suffer. David cries out for 10 days, begging God to change his mind. God doesn't do it. Their sinful actions cost someone else. How about Miriam? Numbers chapter 12, her and Aaron began to say what? Wait a second here. Let's do an inventory on who's really brought. We kind of helped Moses out here. We ought to get some accolades here. What happens to Miriam? She gets leprosy. Her sinful actions cost her. Now she's cured of her leprosy, but it cost her. Well, you might say, well, that's just Old Testament stuff. Ah, they didn't have grace then. Uh, how about Ananias and Sapphira? What did their sinful actions cost them? Cost them their very lives. Our own sinful actions can bring in suffering. Uh, I, I remember fetal alcohol syndrome for women. Women don't drink during your pregnancy. Why? There are consequences to your child. I remember the height of the HIV and AIDS epidemic in the 80s. To all people, practice safe sex. Because if you don't, the actions that you take could be detrimental to you. All sorts of things. Children, we don't want you to experiment with drugs because you might like them. There could be consequences to those actions. I tell you all the time, anyone who's ever worked in addiction with a heroin addict or a crackhead, and they didn't start out wanting to be a crackhead down in Kensington. No one starts there. I'm going to experiment with this. This will make me feel better. This will alleviate my suffering. And it takes them on a path that they had no idea it would take. There are consequences to our actions that cause suffering. There are people who have stepped out in their marriage. Their children have suffered because of it. There are consequences to those actions. Suffering caused by your own actions. Number three, suffering for the cause of Christ. First Peter 4, just write it down. Beloved, do not be surprised by the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you are sharing in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice in his exultation. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or the thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as Christ for, excuse me, as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. There are people who willfully choose and they realize that becoming a believer is going to cost them and create suffering in their lives. Some of you have experienced that in your family. Some of them look at you strange because you call upon the name of Christ. And it's not as prevalent in America as we see in other parts of the world where you could actually be killed. Honor killings for parents whose children convert to Christianity. There are sufferings for the cause of Christ. It's this final one that's probably the hardest. 
There is a suffering allowed by God and for his glory. John Piper writes these words. This is God's universal purpose for all Christians suffering. More contentment in God and less satisfaction in the world. God does bring suffering into the life of the Christian who was following him fervently, passionately with all their whole heart. God will allow suffering. Last week on your sermon notes, I put in a question from the Heidelberg Catechism. What is your only comfort in life and death? And part of that question, or excuse me, the answer to that question says this. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. What's that talking about? The providence of God. That God in his providence sometimes brings into the life of the believer suffering. It's hard, brothers and sisters. So I want us to think through the work of God in suffering. We're going to go through these guys' lives real quick. Joseph gets a dream early in his life that I am going to do something great for God. Some, and I've heard commentators say this. I don't agree with it, by the way. They say that he's being prideful as he does what? He tells his brothers and his, and his father. I don't believe that's true, by the way. I think he's just telling the truth. But what does Joseph say at the end of his life regarding the suffering that he went through? Need I remind you the suffering that Job, excuse me, that Joseph went through? Anybody had their brothers? Uh, I see some siblings up there. Nate, you ever thought about throwing? Well, don't, don't answer that, Nate. Uh, <laughs> might want to throw their sibling in a cistern. Sell him off in slavery while you eat your lunch around the hole. That's not it for Joseph's life, is it? He's convicted of a crime he didn't commit. Potiphar's wife. He's in prison. By the way, tells a, and gives an interpretation of a dream. Remember me when you go to Pharaoh. Takes two years for him to be remembered. Still in prison for something he hasn't done. But look at what he says to his life, at the end of his life. As for you, speaking of his brothers, pay attention to this language. This is in Genesis 50, 20 and 21. It's amazing to me. As for you, you meant evil against me, suffering, but God meant it for good, suffering for good in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. In other words, my life has worked out for the benefit of the entire family, i.e. the entire nation of Israel. Look at what he said. Listen to what he says to his brothers. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. He knew that God was working through his suffering for a greater purpose. How about Job? Take your Bibles there. This is the hairy one, isn't it? Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. We see in first couple of verses here of chapter 1, Job's blameless, upright, fearing God in verse 1. He's got many possessions, many servants, many children. He worships, we see in verse 5, Job would send 
and consecrate them, rising early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of all of them. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. This was his practice. He's a God-fearing man. He's upright. He's blameless. Turns away from evil. Sounds like he's repentant. But verse 6 comes along. And Satan enters the conversation with God at the throne room of heaven. Where have you come from, verse 7 says. From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. Sounds okay so far. Until we get to verse 8. This man who isn't suffering... This man who is upright and blameless, who offers sacrifice, he's repentant. He is seeking the Lord's face. He's doing what's right. It's not Satan that asked the question. It's God. Have you, Satan, considered my servant Job? Say that again. Yahweh, keeper of the covenant, creator of mankind, full of love, compassion, and mercy, recommends this upright man for suffering to Satan? He does. Have you considered my servant Job? What if we were to take out Job's name and put yours in it? Have you considered my servant Wilma? Sue? Scott? Have you considered him? I'm going to allow you to bring suffering in his life. We know the story, don't we? Stripped of all his possessions, stripped of all his children, stripped of his health. Lord has given, Lord has taken. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What do we do with that, brothers and sisters? God says in his work in people's lives, I am going to bring suffering out of the blue. A suffering of which kind I assume most of us have never experienced. Job's situation isn't done, though, is it? Boy, he's got some friends that are going to come along. And by the way, there's lessons to be learned from Job's friends. For all the things that they say that are wrong, they do something that's right. Don't forget it. They sit with him seven days without saying a word. Can I just add this for you? You guys will come along, people who are suffering, and we as Christians, we want to come in and say the right thing, don't we? It's not, there is no right thing for people who are in some deep, deep suffering. Romans 8, 28 doesn't always help them. Can I just add this? When someone passes away that's really close to you or close to another person and you want to comfort them, please don't say they're in a better place. That may be true, but that's not very comforting at the time. Most of the time, people just want your presence. They just want you there, sitting with them seven days. I'm sorry. 
Pray with them. Be with them. God brings suffering into Job's life. Here's the question. Well, let me ask you, what's the question? We're small enough today, I almost feel like I could pass around the mic. Why? Why, God? Why do this to this upright guy? If we put our names in it, some of us are asking this morning, God, why did you do this to me? Why'd you take my husband, my wife, my child, my grandparent? God, why'd you do it? Here's, here's, here's the issue for us, rightly so. And it's an issue for Job. We don't understand God's plan. At the end of the book, who steps in and meets with Job? God himself. And God begins to ask Job a series of questions, and Job is allowed to respond in verse, or excuse me, chapter 42. Then Job answered the Lord and said, if you got your Bibles, turn there. Job 42, verse 1 through 6. When he gets an understanding of who God is, he begins to understand the situation a little better. I know that you can do all things, that the only purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared, which I did not understand, things. Now listen to this, brothers and sisters. Things too wonderful for me. What? Situation's not wonderful. But he didn't have a true understanding of who God was, which I did not know. Hear now, and I will speak. I will ask you, and you instruct me. I have heard, you, heard of you by the hearing of ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I retract, and I repent in dust and ashes. He made all these assumptions about God until he actually came to know God. And brothers and sisters, those of you, those of us who have been in deep suffering, it takes you to a deeper level of your understanding of who God is and who you are before a holy God. Now I'm hesitant to use, I was really hesitant to use Joseph and Job. Why do you think that? What happens to Joseph? We didn't comment on it, but what happens? What has happened to his life? Through all the suffering, what happened at the end of his life? He had success. He came out on top, second in Egypt. I didn't really want to use Job because what happens at the end of Job's life? He gets blessed. He gets kids back. Seems to get his possessions back. He gets his health back. I'd love to say that, man, that's a, that's a promise for all of us that God's going to fully restore on this side all that has been taken away through suffering. What's the problem with that, brothers and sisters? It's not true. The Apostle Paul, did he know a little about suffering? He absolutely did. Most of which, he comments on this in 2 Corinthians 12, if you have your Bibles, turn there. In verse 7, remember what Paul, what his life's like. I, I, Acts chapter 9 is amazing to me because Ananias comes to Paul and says what to him? I want to tell you what you're going to suffer for his namesake. What? This is at the beginning of his ministry. Paul is stoned one time. We believe he is stoned and he is allowed to go to heaven. In 2 Corinthians 11, he has talked about all the journeys that he had and all the famine and nakedness and peril in the city, peril in the field, all the issues that he went through. And then he says, I get caught up in heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. 
He says, but he sees these revelations, but he is not allowed to speak about them. Because of that, which is instituted by God, God gave him something. Look at verse 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. Suffering. By who? God. A messenger from Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. Lord, take this suffering away. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with my weaknesses, a.k.a. suffering, insults, distresses, persecutions with difficulties. Why, Paul? For Christ's sakes. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says, I'm content with my sufferings because... Christ gets glory. Now, we can use Paul because what happens at the end of Paul's life? Doesn't have a success story like Joseph. Doesn't get restored like Job. He gets beheaded by Nero. That's how his life ends. The sufferings don't stop. Yet he boast in his weaknesses because Christ is going to be glorified. Last but certainly not least, Jesus. What was the work of suffering in Jesus' life? If you got the book of Hebrews handy, turn there with me quickly. I think this is going to be a two-part sermon, so don't get nervous, brothers and sisters. I know some of you are saying, he's got nine more points down there. What in the world's going to happen? Well, it's not going to happen, so don't, don't, don't be nervous. <laughs> Hebrews 2. Verses 9 and 10. But we do see him who was made a little lower, who was made a little while lower, excuse me, than the angels, namely Jesus. Listen to this. Because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God that he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. Now, this is where it's amazing about the Christian faith. The Christian faith says that the God of heaven does not say, you people are going to suffer. I'm going to stand back and watch. I'm going to stand back and orchestrate the suffering in your life and not let it penetrate my world at all. No, the triune God has says, I'm going to send the second person of the Trinity to become man, to suffer like you, so that you can identify with him. Amazing. God says, the son's going to enter time and space and not live in some posh castle, living sumptuously, enjoying life. It's going to make his abode with animals at his birth. 
Foxes have their holes and the birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He didn't even own the grave that he got put in. And he comes violent to die, and to not just die, but to suffer a violent death. That should have been you. That should have been me. Suffered untold agony. Not just through the crucifixion, but we forget the scourging. We forget the despising that he had throughout his public ministry. Has anybody ever been abandoned by a friend? Man, at your most desperate time, remember Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in, in Gethsemane crying out, and he asked the disciples, stay awake and pray with me. My, my, my heart is vexed. And he goes back to find his confidants, the ones that he has invested so much in, sleeping. When he's prepared to be arrested, they all run. Peter, whom he loves, who is the spokesman of the group. Alvin, everybody else is going to leave, he says, right? Not me, though. Luke's gospel tells us on the last time he denied Christ, they made eye contact. I want you to picture that, brothers and sisters. Your confidant looking at you, Fred, saying, I don't know Fred. Let him die. How about that prayer in Gethsemane? Father, if it's possible, take this suffering away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. What did the suffering of Christ do for the world, brothers and sisters? Maybe I should ask it more personally. John, what did it do for you? Mike, what did it do for you, brother? Suffering of Christ brings many sons and daughters into glory. Go with me in closing to Hebrews 12. You know Hebrews 11, Faith Hall of Fame. I think that's the context of the therefore in chapter 12, verse 1. In light of what we've read about the, those who have, by the way, those who were in faith in Hebrews chapter 11, boy, they had a cushy life, right, Shlon? Those people didn't know any suffering, did they? I speak as a foolish man. It outlines their difficulties of life. They had various trials except their, but they're faithful men and women. He says this in verse 1 of chapter 12. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and every sin that so entangles us. I think that's the sin of faith, by the way, lack of faith. And let us run this Endurance the race that is set before us. Pay attention. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endures the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand 
of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So when we are going through our suffering, brothers and sisters, here's what we often do, and I do it as well. How many of you, when you're going through a difficult time, no matter what the suffering is, Lord, take it away now? I said, oh, that was really weak. I said, my brother's going to get on me for that one. Um, shouldn't have put my hands on my hips like that. Um, come on. We want it to go away right now. How many of us say, God, keep it as long as you want to in my life that you would get glory and teach me a lesson and work this out maybe for someone else's good? I think that's where God wants us to go. That your suffering, and I know this is hard, brothers and sisters, your suffering isn't about you. It's about what God's doing through you. In you, for his purpose and for his glory. And I know we don't understand that. Notice what I said. We don't understand that. We don't. I was sharing with the group uh, that I do Zoom calls with. Um, you know, there's a lot of songs I remember as a child. But Further Along was probably one of my favorites. Further Along, we'll know all about it. Further Along, we'll understand why. Cheer up, my brother. Live in the sunshine. For we'll understand it better all by and by. When we see Jesus in that great mansion, I love how that, that song goes. We'll understand it, brothers. Sisters, we'll understand it better by and by. We see through a glass darkly now. We don't see clearly. But as we hold on to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, we endure trials. Close with this last quote by Spurgeon. Keep your eyes simply on him. Let his death, his sufferings, his merits, his glories, his intercession be afresh upon thy mind. When you wake in the morning, look to him. When thou lie down at night, look to him. Oh, let not your hopes or your fears come between thee and Jesus. Follow hard after him and he will never fail you. Next week, we'll finish and we'll talk more about the walk of the believer in suffering. What do we actually do? What are the practical things that we do while we suffer? Give you nine tips I think will help. It's not exhaustive. Also, take the time next week. Uh, those of you who are familiar with Johnny Erickson Tata, if you know her work, she's got a great resource that I want to provide, at least for you to get access to. It's, it's a 30-day devotional on Handling suffering, and brothers and sisters, we all suffer in some form or fashion. And I want to get you the tools and tips and things that I think will help you. And I hear, here, here's, here's what I'll close with. I'll close here, promise. And this will be my last point next week, so I'll give you a little thunder on that. Steal some of my thunder on it. Um, I think we often think, well, and even the song, right? We'll understand it better, so my hope's going to be there. The victory will be there. And that's true in its consummation, in the full sense of it, that's true. 
But can we have victory in trials now? Can we have hope through suffering now? We can. We absolutely can. And I want to push us prayerfully there. And um, prayerfully, it will be very, very edifying to you and encouraging to you as we talk about such things. And I pray that this week, as you're processing some of the stuff that's been talked about, let's dialogue. Dialogue with one another. Dialogue in your women's studies or your, your men's studies about some of this stuff. Because I know that it's hard. I know that it's incredibly difficult in our world to live and see such suffering, not just in the world, but also in our own individual Christian lives. Let's pray together. Father, as I look upon my brothers and sisters and even reflect upon the posture of my own heart, Lord, I don't like the sufferings that you have brought in my life as a pastor, as a husband, as a father, as a son, as a friend. Lord, I know that there are brothers and sisters in this room, Lord, who, Lord, are are desperately crying out for relief and for strength in the trial that they have. For some of them, it's physically. Lord, they've lost a loved one. They see their bodies breaking down. They see the limitations in their physical uh, strength. Lord, for others, it's mental suffering, Lord, that their anxiety overwhelms them. The depression crushes them at times. And Lord, I pray that whether it be physical or mental or even spiritual suffering, Lord, that one has, that they see Jesus, that they run to Jesus, that they rest in their relationship with Christ should they have one. Find strength there. Look to Christ. Understand Christ. Know Christ. And Lord, would he truly be our all in all? Give us godly contentment, Father, as we look to Jesus. And Father, would we bear the burden that you have for us, bear the suffering that you have for us. Teach us, grow us, mature us. Let us be the witness that you have for us, that we could be like Paul, that we could be like Christ, and truly mean the words that they said as we interact with our trial, our thorn, our suffering. God, we love you. We thank you so much that Christ is not distant, that he is near us in our suffering. We love you, God. Please help us to love you more and patiently endure what you have for us. We give you all the praise. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.